0: Good morning, good afternoon, good, e- good evening, he, she, they, them's, and everybody in between. This is Mekashin, your podcast for gay and geek culture from a queer Black perspective. I'm Nick.
1: I'm Victor.
0: And today we are joined by the awesome, the kink loving, the cool a Rocket Review of the Rocket Review Pro- podcast.
2: How are you all doing? Victor, Nick.
0: Fabulous over here. You know, just good, good. recovering from um, <laughs> a little bit too much in the partaking of treats, I'll say.
2: Did you have a good Saturday night?
0: I did have a good Saturday
2: night. <laughs> I was going to say, why are you beating around the bush? I you did have a good have Saturday a, night. Yeah, I didn't you know some,
0: some bourbon, some vodka, some lemon squares, some...
2: Ooh, you, mixed uh, your, you mixed your dark liquors with your lighter I liquors. I did.
0: Wow. I usually do that. I don't know why. I, like, I'm fucking back in college. Um, I was gonna say, yeah.
2: that's frat drinking.
0: Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm too, too old to be doing that shit. But still, I rise.
2: <laughs> well, there's a time and a place for everything, and it's early adulthood. Hey, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, I am so honored uh, to have been invited on. Porter, I've had you on over at the Rocket Review uh, to discuss, yes. you know, uh, sex and kink related topics as it they uh, pertain to the POC communities. Mm-hmm. Um, because I love Mega Sheen. I love you guys' takes on pop culture and what's going on in media, what's going on in our, you know, what's going on in just our media uh, entertainment offerings. Because... Well, there's a lot of it and not all of it's great. Um, and some of it is problematic even still. And so I love what you're looking at right. HBO Max. Looking at you HBO Max. <laughs> <laughs> looking directly at you that, that HBO Max. Uh yeah, what the hell? Why what's with all of these services suddenly cutting employees and I mean uh... they're spending a lot
1: of money and it's funny that you mentioned that um, my building is next to Warner Brothers. So one of the buildings they have is closing and they're moving over to this ranch looking spot. And then they are also building a new spot that looks like icebergs and on the street. But um, it's it's, it's a lot of the costs, a lot of the cost of things they're trying to do and continue to do. And this merger, I feel like this merger costs more than what they thought. You know, when you overbuy, overspend, you realize, like, whoops, I only mm-hmm. have one rent, and that's it. And <laughs> that is kind of what they're going through right now.
0: Well, was streaming in general, was that even a viable business model? Like, you saw how Netflix shot up, because way back in the day, Netflix, you had to get your uh, movies through the mail. Um, and now it just feels like they don't know what the fuck to do over there. Like, you want me to spend how much, first of all, you want to you want to charge an X amount of dollars for your service. You don't want me to share any kind of passwords. The only thing you have going forward is Stranger Things. And honestly, uh, what else do you have? You want me to what, go watch 101 and the Parkers and spend all that money on Netflix. And then the bullshit over at HBO Max, like I why would you fuck up st- something that's already good?
3: It if it ain't broke, like, why are you right, trying to fix it?
0: It just seems like he's trying to sling his dick around to see if like he's he's in charge and he's just fucking it up. Yes,
2: it does feel like there's some
0: patriarchal dick swinging yeah. going on. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense. And then they're going to realize, oh, they're going to... Chop everybody and then chop themselves at the knee and then wonder why they're bleeding out.
1: True. And I also believe that, I do believe, I think I said this before, that Tubi and Pluto are really scaring the hell out of them because Mm -hmm. they figured out a way to give you all the things. Like you can get, you can watch Alice, the old TV show Alice. You can watch Old Price Was Right. You can watch that and somewhat current movies. For free, you get commercials, but it's not annoying to a point. And it's free. And then now you hear Netflix maybe doing the same thing, having like commercials and what have you. But I think places like that, because they're dependable, like literally, like I'm sitting here, like I just paid um, my streaming bill. Part of me is like, do I even need streaming anymore? Because I don't even watch those streaming channels. I watch the, like the Netflix and the Pluto's and all that. And a part of me is, like, really realizing that they got a lockdown because if they are showing all that they're showing and you don't have to really, you know, it's for a lot of us, we're very comfortable with the same thing we watch over and over again. Why would you pay $17, $15 for somewhere that you only will watch one show or one movie with? Mm
2: -hmm is true well and you brought up the early netflix business model right. which was actual dvds like like that's yeah, yeah. how far i think sometimes we forget how far back netflix goes in our our media zeitgeist right uh, uh i remember getting dvds back i also remember getting them in the mail never watching them and then sending them back when you got the return <laughs> so there was also that um you i think what's gone on is is Netflix, uh, you know, as they started getting into creating their own content, they were determined not to use the old studio model, which Mm -hmm. was extraordinarily problematic. This is why we had such, we had decades of whitewashed, you know, stories over and over and over again, you know, a profound lack of diversity in our media uh, for decades because of the studio system. And so while I see what Netflix was trying to do, they could have used some of the studio systems production structure and the way they go about how they produce large scale, you know, entities. It felt like, and it has felt like to me that Netflix just kind of threw shit at the wall and mm-hmm. to see what sticks and, 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 and that's fuck around and find out tactic. And I don't really get behind that. It's like, we, we know what works. We know what our audiences want and you can always ask. You could always you go ask that. the audiences right. again. You know, hey, what would you guys like to see? Because we can't seem to come up with anything new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there, there's good. my hot take on Netflix. I just,
0: uh, I don't, I really don't understand. But then again, I, I don't get paid for that. Um, I heard it was very cutthroat at Netflix. I heard from multiple people that work there, it is very, uh, like a Episode of Succession
2: over there. Um, (laughs) Snap. Yeah, I'll bet. It's nasty work. Uh, I'll bet it's cut fucking throat over there because Mm -hmm. everyone's in their own project. So this is, again, this goes into the studio system didn't allow for that kind of infighting because each project was its own little universe. And they're the only people that really had any crossover were studio heads, studio Mm -hmm. execs and things. And so, in fact, there was a very long standing. Rule on big movie sets. You did not walk onto somebody else's set and borrow something, take something, ask for something. Even yeah, you didn't walk in with notes onto mm-hmm. somebody else's project and stuff like that. And so there was a very big etiquette, you know, on large studio lots and things like that about you know mixing up and different. You know, walking onto somebody else's set and saying, "Hey, I got an idea for you." It's like, nah. Mm-hmm. You'd have to go through studio execs again. Netflix. It, it they they they. I think they even fostered an air of competitiveness perhaps they might have even or inadvertently maybe even fostered an air or a culture of competitiveness amongst different production companies um i mean production is competition anyway you're competing for platform you're competing for distribution um and, and stuff and so yeah i i think that maybe netflix could have probably taken a stronger look at how they were structuring their productions yeah. and things like that i think that's where they've gotten themselves in trouble
0: yeah yeah and that's i think hbo is going to soon find themselves in the same position
2: yeah as much as i love harley quinn i mean you know i can get that on another service <laughs> like i don't have to have, right i don't have to have hbo max to get a vast majority of the offerings mm-hmm. <laughs> that
0: is- they need to work on a the, uh their turn to classic movies uh thing because i saw something that didn't need to be in turn classic movies the that hub and i was like what it just frustrates me I might have So an ex-
2: i might have an explanation for that so what i've been discovering i was talking to somebody who brokers uh media in the entertainment world and uh, and what by what i mean by broker is so you're an independent content creator you've got this catalog of content you've created for say netflix or whatever netflix's option on that drops or they don't pick it back up again you still own that content you can take it to another platform another distribution mm-hmm. service we've seen things leave mainstream and then go to netflix like lucifer left fox yeah. because they canceled it went and had another two successful last seasons and they got to add the fuck word in you know they got to like really really tear open the the storyline and, and have fun Right. Um, uh, I'd like to see Netflix do more of that, actually. Go pick up something that didn't get great network appeal, but could still have a strong enough audience for a streaming service to pick up. Yeah, and it's really interesting because
1: it it feels like we may go back to the networks with all these streaming services kind of going crazy here. It it almost feels like we might have to go back to those, but a lot of people are... I don't think they will want that because it's so censored. But as you mentioned, as you was talking about Lucifer, it was able to be more free. And a lot of times when shows are jumping on the different platforms, like even, I think about American Horror Story, how it really evolved to where we are getting a lot more, you know, fuck work, like all that stuff is being said and done. I mean, they gave us a little bit of that in the first season when we got to see what's his name, Jackoff, but it was but now we're getting a lot more um, when they're doing their own on the extreme of So I think it would be hard for a lot of places to go back, even though I feel like we're going somewhat back, I think it will be hard for a lot of viewers to be like, I'm not used to, you know, for y'all censoring stuff. I want to see,
2: because you know, you have- I want to see the dick. Right, yeah, I, I'm <laughs> sick I of, I'm sick it. of blurs. right? I'm, Well, I've been been saying this for decades in the industry, is I'm tired of it's perfectly okay for female full frontal, but it's something quite different for male full frontal. And I'm like, Mm no, 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 come on. If we can see vulvas, we can see penises too. It's like, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. And then, of course, breasts. Jesus, H, Christ, how many... Movie franchises are literally built upon, you know, exploiting women's bus lines. It's like, it's, yeah. it's sad. It's Even when you didn't
1: sad. need to. Even, uh, it's funny looking at a lot of old horror movies that I grew up with. I'm like, we even need, you didn't even need to be naked.
0: Like, movie. why is she running around naked in the woods? Yeah,
1: why are we doing this? Even though it's funny when I look back at, as I don't know if y'all know, Summer Party Massacre will be 40 next month. Um, that was done by a woman, but there's a lot of like, gratuitous breasts and-
2: Well, just because, okay, just because exploitive content was created by someone of that gender, doesn't mean it's not still exploitive. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, but that's, we see this in the adult industry a lot. Uh, uh, Yeah, exploitive content is still exploitive. It's the ethics to which you go about creating the content you know how were all the players involved were they all brought up to speed Did they all negotiate communicate and then consent enthusiastically to do these scenes we apply these rules of course to kink and bdsm scenarios literally like they're the they're the foundational uh mechanisms to get that done you know safely and with all the fun uh mm-hmm. but yeah it it, it Again, yeah, it's it's amazing the crossovers sometimes even in uh, mainstream and then adult production. It's very, very much the same world, the same techniques, the same tropes that we find ourselves crossing. Uh, And then adult has all of the other stuff piled up.
3: There's
2: there's all the mainstream production issues and then all the adult stuff that sits on top.
0: So... (laughs) So Let's get into Aunt May's Tea because we have a couple of things to talk about. Uh, let's see. Let's first talk about She-Hulk. The first review, the first episode is up on Disney+. Um, what are your all's uh, review reactions? What do you think about it?
1: I, I thought, it, you know, it was cute. I'm going to go back and look at it again because I was watching it kind of a uh... Before I had to do some other things. But you know, I thought it was really cute for what it was. Um, You you learned that, you know, she's trying to manage a lot of things. And if you read the comics, she's always been kind of that jazzy person in a way. Um, I can ignore the CGI stuff. And we heard all about that beforehand, but I was kind of still into what the story was and what's gonna happen. Um, You know, it's always great to see, you know, a little, you get a you get a little bit of you know where the story is going to kind of go because you know who the characters is who's going to show up. You know you got her cousin or you got Bruce coming in there looking you know cute in his little getup and stuff like that. You got all that stuff very soon. But what I will say is what I'm loving is the the marketing for it. So for example, on Sunset Boulevard, um, and Nick, you understand this reference. Maybe you too, Rocket. Uh um so if you ever remember the gem and hologram posters, used to come with the dolls. The, the Misfits had one where you will see Pizzazz putting a poster over the gem poster. And around here, um you will see
0: Oh, like on um getting down to business. Uh yeah, when uh yeah, okay. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so um right now you will see the the She-Hulk like posters. But you will see Tatiana like posted over those.
0: Oh, okay. And
1: writing Titania, I'm saying her name wrong, but have her name, like she scrawls up over it and it's really cute. I'm a, I might have to go out there and take a picture of it. Cause I noticed it Friday night and I was like, that's, that's good marketing because. You that are, is, that's you know, cute. I think That is kind
2: of cute. Uh, I, I like what they're doing. Hey, the only thing in the marketing that I take any issue with is they're kind of high key billing her as the only attorney in the mcu and i'm like wait wait hold up uh matt murdoch hello right he's a well-known attorney and he's now in the mcu because hello he makes it into multiverse of madness i mean uh no sorry he makes it he into then, no way home
0: he'll yeah, he was in no way home Yeah,
2: catches a damn brick flying through the window even
0: mm-hmm. it's
2: like you know yeah, so so she's not the only attorney, but she is going to be the big league attorney. That part we do know she's going to be DA level, high, high, high profile. Whereas Matt Murdoch is not; he's a little too busy being DD mm-hmm. on the <laughs> side. And I think there's also a great crossover. I can't wait! Like there should be a great courtroom crossover or a mashup with those two at some point, where they've got to defend somebody together.
0: Now, Matt is a attorney and. Hell's Kitchen. Right. Where is She-Hulk?
2: Is she LA based?
0: I thought she was, L- is she LA based? I think Wisconsin? she
2: is LA based. I think it still would be a fun crossover. Cause you know, yeah. it's, it's MCU, smart. they'll figure out a way. Yeah, yeah. And she'll
1: probably have to return to New York. I mean, again, due to, fam, well, family, um, or just, just because of anything with former Avengers work. Cause sometimes um, in the comic, there was time when something will happen legally she, because she was an Avengers, so therefore she like, well, I could just put on this suit and kind of deal with the situation or what have you. So, I don't know. You know, it's I like what we what we're getting. It's charming. It's funny. Um, oh,
2: so far it's delightful. It's just been delightful. The fight scenes between her and Bruce, knocking each other around through right. all the furniture. It's like y'all are wrecking the place. Y'all realize that? Oh, never mind. They just realized they wrecked. The <laughs> And just to- I oh, go ahead, Nick. Sorry.
0: I just want to know why Jamila Hill is in it because she wears me out. And, and what is that so, outfit? <laughs> first of all, what's the outfit? You I were on legendary, know. so you can ask your good Judys over there to you know like give you the hookup. Number one. Number two. I don't like how she some of her interactions online have really rubbed me the wrong way. Like if somebody will say something and then tell you like you're going about it just a wrong way and you're not acknowledging X, Y, and Z. And then you retort with a, oh, this is just how I always am. And yada, yada, just get this whole big diatribe. And it's like, girl, it's not even that deep. Like I I don't like her. I just don't like it. It's a chop for me. It is a chop for me for her. But as far as the um, the overall series, She-Hulk reminds me in the aspect of Storm that they have to keep their emotions in check or they're always told to keep their emotions in check. And it goes to the bigger issue of women in general. I like the, the conversation that she had with uh, Bruce as far as, I am in control all the time because I have to be. I'm a lawyer. I'm a woman. I get catcalled all the fucking time. So, yes, I don't have to do it like you. I've been doing... I've I've had the training to keep this in, in control. So, me being a Hulk is not going to change that. Like, you can just take it away and I'm still going to have to do the same shit that I was still doing regardless of this. So, I like that they already hinted at it. They already talked about that. And I hope they do some more in that but i'm i'm excited where this goes because i don't have any kind of reference for she-hulk like i never read the comics she wasn't in any of the cartoons that i was watching growing up so i like this introduction
2: for me she only shows up briefly in the 80s in the spider-man and friends uh, series uh, mm-hmm. a few times I, uh, I did not actually read her her comic book either um and so i was excited to see this uh version of her this adaptation um i uh, i really am and exactly so circling back to what you were saying about the conversation she has where she's like Um, I have to manage my anger all the time, Bruce, like every day I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. It's like, I found that that in and of itself is a phenomenal starter of a much deeper conversation about what does it mean to be a woman anymore? Uh, What does it mean to even just present, you know, what does it mean to be feminine of center in any way, shape or form these days? Mm -hmm. Uh, What does it mean to be a feminist? Like this is going to be an exceptional conversation because you know, here's a character that changes literally at will, physically, though she doesn't change emotionally. And so, whereas Bruce went through this incredible trauma, fifteen years worth of it, you know, kind of a scenario going back and forth between personalities, that mm-hmm. doesn't exist for her because she was already predisposed to managing and being compartmentalized that kind of rage and anger. So, yeah, it's it's fa- it's it's fantastic. It's really a great right. combo. Yeah.
1: And I, I'm loving the fact that when we get to see the other characters, that's where I think like we'll see where that control really plays a role because some of the other characters who are coming in, especially the villains, they don't have that sense of control. And I think that might be uh, something that is tempting because you, you know, if you're able to see how they function and yeah, you're gonna see a lot of outrageous fashion <laughs> from some of them, it's gonna be a mess. So Nick, you're gonna be like, okay, these outfits, but, um, <laughs> um, and wigs because um, she is really giving you she will give you a lot i remember they were talking about it at, at comic-con and how it was a lot about the it it's going to be a, a, i think a theme is go- one part of the toner theme will be about control um it's going to be fascinating to see um and again i'm and the actress who's playing she-hulk and i'm her name just slipped my mind but
0: she's
1: yeah she's good If y'all didn't see her and and then that show, my memory is all crazy today, but she's won awards for playing, um, she was playing different types of characters, multiple characters. Um, And it was just something that she's really good at. She's good at really grabbing at different emotional parts and turns and twists. So she's gonna give you a performance. And I think this was a great, uh, and just for what we just saw, it's going to be kind of a really great thing to watch as it just evolves for the rest of the month
2: so mm-hmm. and i was we're a huge fan of orphan black orphan with Tatiana. Of us, i
1: remember uh
2: oh yeah oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. yeah she played like nine different versions of the same cloned woman yeah. on this show orphan black mm-hmm. so her character skills are out there like and they can do she's a chameleon too I mean they can do the slightest changes to her her hair and makeup and she's a completely fucking different person that's the other beauty of her is she's a ridiculous chameleon she can Mm -hmm. just morph um, and her action skills are quite accomplished as well was she in the um, whatever happened to uh,
0: Monday was that her too or was that somebody else
2: no that's the young woman from the uh, 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 kicked over the Hornets Nest trilogy back. That was her big break, and then she's okay. in uh, she's in uh, Ridley Scott's Prometheus.
1: Yes, that's yeah.
2: Okay, great that's actor another. too. Another great yeah. actor. She's phenomenal. Great. I love her.
0: Well, I am excited what they do with uh, um, She Hulk, and it goes to show like they're what they're setting up as far as the next group of adventures which is exciting to see, and I'm ready for it. Because some of these, I would say some of these other people, such as Thor, need to go out to pasture. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Let's get Natalie Portman in,
2: you know? (laughs) Right. Like,
0: I I said this to somebody uh, a few weeks ago. Like, Thor is like this, he doesn't know what he wants to do. He was with one group, then he went to another group, He he doesn't have his uh, nobody around when he was growing up. That's why he's wild and he don't give a fuck. Um, He just doesn't have anybody. And the love and thunder made it apparent like they almost don't know what to do with him. Like, like, girl, just move. I'll be like uh, the dreamettes. Move, move, move right out of my life. Like... He just needs to go. Away.
2: Leave Portdoor alone. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about that butt? God damn. Well
0: that, that he does have it.
2: God damn. I mean Taika Waititi. Taika Watini was even like, are you kidding? It would have been a crime not to show. <laughs> are you he puts so much time into that? It's yeah, he was in. It was really quite something to behold. Yeah, I saw him on Colbert. It was really breathtaking the way he <laughs> built it up. Stephen, Stephen Colbert even just sat there, kind of like, we're talking about Chris Hemsworth, but okay, here we go. He's got a good ass. I mean, It does. He does. He puts a ton of work into that thing. Him and uh, Henry Cavall- Ca- Cavalli, <sighs> the Witcher. Mm. And I
0: heard that Henry's like, he's into D&D.
2: Oh, he's he a U-shirt! Honey, he's got a video never. series out where he builds a fucking gaming PC. Yeah. Oh my you God. Does his Lego, yeah, it does his
3: Lego.
2: <laughs> yeah, the way yeah.
1: he was building that computer and those shorts and the way his, he's just, he's a very, he's thick, he's very thick. And so when he was doing those workout videos, I'm like, sir, I know what you're doing. And that's okay, that's totally fine. He
2: knows exactly who his fan yeah. base is and he loves them and he loves, yes, he really loves us. There. We will be
1: there, especially, I, I feel like he knew that scene in The Watcher, if you remember it, where they show him just walking, like, ass first, like, just showing that. I was like- With the wet steam,
2: know. like, coming <laughs> off of him. It's like, fuck, stop <laughs> it. They God. know. It's like, they know. They know.
0: I want to see him be Superman again, for real, because I thought he was, he was decent at it. He just, the script was just shit.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I agree. I'd love to see him get a second shot at, at, at soup. uh, Yeah, because that yeah, that was a little bit letting down. Look, man, when Wonder Woman is saving your your movie every chance she gets, just by walking into the frame.
0: Right. It's too bad that she couldn't save a second movie, because,
2: honey, nothing was saving. Oh
0: god. Hey, do we
2: well? Do we want to talk about the Flash for a second and the upset and our thoughts on like? Let's not go there.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk about Urza because. That young man, so he, uh,
1: yeah, so he just put out an apology, oh, I read it after all of that foolishness, I'm like, girl it's too late it's it's too mm-hmm. late.
2: well, it's not even an apology, it's For a sure. hey, i I'm problematic, so I'm gonna go get some rehab, and then you know that wasn't an apology that was mm-hmm. a uh that was a a setup of a defense is what it felt like somewhere. that
0: was them a. Uh, going forward to releasing the movie that's what that was and he you can acknowledge the fact that you have some kind of mental issues okay that doesn't absolve you from the bullshit you you've done you know like that that's another thing that people don't seem to understand like two things could be true it's not a either or or this or that type of thing he's a shitty ass person and he also needs some kind of mental help if in fact he does indeed have mental issues. Now, he could be using that as a front just to say that I'm um, just a fuck up, which the jury's still out on that as far as his mental issues,
2: but- They might be out for a couple of years on that.
0: <laughs> well, that's true. And I don't understand why they would, you would keep going forward with this- Problematic of person the movie, this in the helm. Problematic, yeah. Movie. yeah. And then at the same token, cut at least 130 million dollars worth of movie aka the scooby-doo animated project and batgirl the people from the producers of batgirl didn't even realize that the movie was being scrapped until they were they were going to a, a wedding over in the middle east so you could give these people that you trusted with this property some fucking decency and say that you're scrapping their movie they had to hear from the grapevine
2: like i I, I did yeah i didn't find out i didn't hear about that until after i heard i thought you can't warner brothers didn't bother to go and talk to them first and say here's the heads up we got to shelve this here's why i don't i don't have a problem with studios shelving a project even after they've dumped tons of money into it especially if they finally decide this doesn't uh, uh, support the characters or the story or for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It feels like this was all budget-minded. It feels like they needed a huge tax write-off because they've just been eating it in the ass lately. And this was a good one. And and the thing that pisses me off is, is again, the cast, the crew, the writers, the directors, everyone that put their time, soul, you know, into this project. Are they, are they just shafted now? I mean, okay, walk away with your paycheck, that's it. Right. We're never airing the art. We're never talking about it anymore. Could it not even be cut up into an HBO Max miniseries? Like, is there, you know, what's the deal here? And uh, uh, again, I support studios making decisions that uh, best suit their overall interests. However, do it with transparency. Don't mm-hmm. be shady and make sure everybody involved knows before you fucking make the public notice. I agree completely, Porter. That was right. That was bullshit the way they made that announcement. And then they're they're going to say, oh, we're going to
0: do some kind of retreat and whatnot and plan our 10 years. I'm like, well, girl, you should have did that in 2016 when you released Batman versus Superman. Why wait all of that time and say, oh, maybe maybe we'll do it this way? Like, me and Victor has talked about this, until we are blue in the motherfucking face about what exactly is going on over there. Like, you... The people, the writers are out there, the directors are out there, the actors are out there. You are just so gung-ho about doing it your way that your way is not working anymore, girl. Like, find another way. And you should have already been doing this. So now you're like, oh, we want to do like what Kevin Feige did. Well, girl, you should have been already doing that. Yeah, everybody was gonna say you're gonna uh, you're copying off of them or whatnot, but
2: it's I a mean, business model.
0: Copy Marvel it. Has, and DC has been doing that for years. So, like, are we gonna? We could go down the the list to see who copied who.
2: It's just, oh my God, DC and Marvel—they have literally been ripping each other off for yeah. fucking decades.
0: Like, I was just watching something about the Secret Wars uh, saga and how that was a ripoff of a dc storyline and marvel push secret wars faster to get it out before dc it was some fuckery i mean that's always gonna be some fuckery so
1: um, it's always gonna be um yeah it is um well you know she hulk do take it out you know check it out flash who knows what that i say replace him
2: I said replace him
1: him after this movie. It should be replaced. But this may be, this may be, this is their reboot. To be honest, this movie is supposed to be the reboot of that entire world. So that might be the opportunity because, in a lot of ways, in the comics, Flash has died and
2: returned and whatever. Oh my God. So many times. Mm -hmm. Come back as somebody else. And there's so many different versions of it. Yeah. There's more than just the Barry Allen flash you know version they've got other you know uh kind of like the robin you know we've got jason todd we've got you know the other guy which mm-hmm. i think passed away or got killed at some point you know and so yeah i mean there's there's lots of ways to get around this again it's a fictional storyline gang you could write something new in right. there even hey uh somebody brought up a, a weird and but very cool idea uh i well, personally i'd love to see i lo- i was a fan of dc uh, tv I love the Flash TV show. I loved uh, what uh, young Grant Gustinson brought to the character. And to me, he's the quint- quintessential like typecasting of Barry Allen. I mean, he's just, he's Barry Allen type right there mm-hmm. in the script. You know, kind of think, what has always been the problem with the TV versions and the movie versions? Like, what the fuck is the problem crossing over a small screen actor to the big feature? I don't get it. They did this shit with Stephen Amell. Uh, they dangled a possible Arrow, you know, trilogy movie series in front of him for eight years and then mm-hmm. nothing, you know, and, he, and he's like, OK, I'm out. I'm done. It's like you've dangled enough carrots. It's like there's great actors in the TV versions of these shows. Why don't they get the opportunity to cross into the feature? I have never understood that.
0: one. Yeah, they I, I do not get that at all, either. It's odd. It is very odd. It's like, as if they don't think that their power can transfer or their marketability can transfer from-
2: Oh, that's generally what it always boils down to is is they've got a TV audience and not a feature audience. And I'm like, that doesn't really factor anymore. I don't think. I think the audiences for this kind of fandom are watching all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because
1: it would make, it would be crazy if they had, like we got the Avengers and all of a sudden there was a different hawkeye show just out there you'd be like wait but uh-uh.
3: mm-hmm.
1: like why are we getting this version versus what's there or i would get it if they did but then i feel like when marvel does stuff like that they will be like okay the it, it will still be under their control even when they did uh, ages of shield that was still it's it, it was kind of not in the world but not but in the world in a way um, to where it still made sense, even though they were not really in
2: the same. Place. They yeah, they skirted canon. You know, they mm-hmm. skirted canon with a lot of their own ideas, but they stayed true to canon. Like they stayed on that arc. They it was just leading
0: up to somewhere. It wasn't like oh, we're just going to do this random ass story that doesn't have any kind of follow or through line to what we're trying to tell you. Like it's, it can be done. They just don't want to do it point blank period
1: and it seems like the the attack on new york was pretty much the main theme in all the multiverses most of the multiverses if not something equivalent to that like when like thanos the thanos story was told differently in one multiverse where it was dr strange and all them took care of him um versus the avengers in another so you know it's i like how they would do like there's always a common theme in these there's just not too outrageous Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? My my thing is, you know, we'll see how this flash goes. So, you know, of course, we're gonna watch it. But <laughs> we're, are we? I'm gonna see because I'm gonna see how they're gonna reboot this mess. Because I think if we, if you remember the Apocalypse War, the animated movie, that's where oh I,
0: yeah, that is true.
1: That's where they're going. Where it's gonna end with the white light, and if that's the case, do it. You can bring goggledo back. You can figure out which Batman you're gonna use. You got three. But you need to-
2: and a couple of robins and a nightwing. Mm-hmm. And a-
1: bring back um Henry. Um and you can bring back, you can even bring a um Jason. You, you, know, you get you gotta keep Jason. I'm sorry. That's for us for the for the gays. You gotta keep Jason so we can have
2: some Absolutely. Gays. You gotta bring in Nightwing. All
1: right. <laughs> but make sure he has the because the Titan version doesn't really have a butt. Bring in the one that has the The butt. cake. Yeah. Bring
0: us the cake. That's the- That's a job that I want. Like, if you're trying to cast a Nightwing, then, I mean, yeah, you have to have, you have to say, turn around, let me see your butt, take your drawers off, you know. Have to see all that.
2: (laughs) It
1: It has to be a great dancer, gymnast shape. It has to be one of those.
2: Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you can't, oh, my God, Jason Todd? No, that needs to be a Cirque du Soleil performer. I mean, that needs to be, I love I love Chris from back in the day and all when he played Robin and stuff. But Jesus, no, that <laughs> needs to be someone with some serious athleticism. And uh, and yeah, I have wholeheartedly agree, <laughs> wholeheartedly <laughs> agree on that. So,
0: Victor, what's this uh, information, this story about um, something's
2: coming back? Oh, the Buffy reboot got
1: well. It was supposed to return, and now it is not. This has been talked about for what four or five years already. Um, and it was introduced where it's going to be. It was supposed to be a reboot featuring a, either a black Buffy or or a black character in this role, or someone of color, oh, pretty much in this role. Where it's still in that universe, it wouldn't be Buffy, but it's still in the universe. Um, at one point, Michelle, Michelle Geller was gonna make an appearance. It was gonna be all this talk. Um, some people were, in, some, some of my friends were interviewed to talk about what that would be. And now it's kind of falling apart and mostly it's been falling apart because one, Josh Wheaton, he was gonna be one of the executive producers but that was before all of the stuff fell out with him from his ex-wife to um, the allegations from other actors. Um, then we remember the issue he had with Justice League. All that kind of tanked him to where there was no longer an interest of in the show. Also remember, he was working on the Batgirl movie and, and he didn't even know where to go with that. So he was removed from that. So it, it just seemed to be dead in the water. Sarah Michelle Geller, who is returning in a spinoff from uh, Teen Wolf, has said recently that she's not interested in returning in that role um mostly if she did it would be like
2: hey just right a a baton handoff
1: and I'm going away but it was more like she's like you know I'm too old it was grueling set time what they had to do back in the day Um, so she's like you know and at that point she didn't have her two kids her great husband and her career with healthy food she didn't have all that at that time so now she has her own little you know empire her family and I and I totally get it Um, but they are taking a, it's kind of shelved right now and pretty much it's dead. I'm fine with that because I feel like we can do something new as y'all were saying, it could be something new or you could return to the universe, that's fine. It just needs to be different characters overall. I don't mind if it's like, here are the, maybe the, the kids of some of them, you know, the ones who survived like, or something like that, that would be fine. And some appearances from some of the other members, but that, I'm fine with that, but I, I think they need to get their house in order if they want to do this reboot and do it effectively.
2: I agree completely. Uh, yeah, Joss Whedon used to be a hero of mine, you know, and I have watched I've watched and read some fucking horror stories. Elijah Dushku even has oh some terrifying stories about, and that poor that poor woman, what she's been through on two different fucking shows now. Yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's like and how much would i love to see eliza dushku come back for a baton handoff? faith wouldn't that be fucking cool if faith had yeah, both have a love, little baton that'd be cool i love faith so much faith was always
1: one of the scenes this is i know i'm just jumping upside here but one of the scenes i love from her mostly was an angel when they told her that you know we need you to help us because he's angelus again she was like step away from the glass and just when she they did that she jumped through And like, we got to get out of it because she was in jail to explain it. Nick, she was in jail um, and they had to get her out. And she basically took Wesley and like, we're going to get out and jump through a window. But she used herself as, you know, the shield for him. So Mm -hmm. it is amazing. She was amazing. I, you know what? I do want a reboot. I do want some of them to return, but it has to be in different hands at this point. And it's really well, it has to be done really well.
2: Uh, well, and I, and I totally, and I, I, uh, we had, there were three uh, Slayers uh, in that run of Buffy, in the original run of Buffy, there were three Slayers, Faith is the second that shows up, and then there's another, a Caribbean, I think a young woman oh, from the Kendra. Caribbean.
1: Kendra, played by um, um, Bianca, not Bianca, that's not her name, um, but um, played by the ever, she never ages, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, she... She was in there for the second season and then she did pass and that's why we got fake. And yeah, you're right, it's been three. And then if the final season, Buffy kind of spread her power out to ignite all of the potential Slayers. So now the universe is, there are Slayers
2: out there. I think we should have SlayerCon. And that's where this whole (laughs) reboot fucking starts is SlayerCon, here's Buffy giving a fucking TED Talk lecture you know
1: because she <laughs> yeah. got the kids and shit now like
2: here's the one
1: i love the fact that when they talked to michelle uh sarah michelle Geller, they asked her who should be the new one who should take the torch and she's like uh zendaya zendaya should take
2: the oh torch. hells to the Yeah, i,
1: like, I could see, see that you know Z, you know she's busy with victoria winning you know emmys and looking great but i could see that if she was i love that she like nope
2: well, and after getting slung around on wires as MJ in three different fucking Spider-Man movies, she's earned her own action movie. Like she's earned her own hero yeah. role. Right. So yeah, she's been, she's been the girlfriend. Now she needs to be her own hero. Yeah, I agree.
1: But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind a reboot. Cause I, I think about how scream went. Um, I know some people were fans of it. Some people were not, but the fact that it was able to blend in a new generation with the old generation, um, bring in like, oh, you know, Randy's sister has kids. And now the kids are involved. Um, so uh, the twins, uh, I think that would be neat. They could do stuff like that. I, I'm watching, which I'm ashamed to admit, but I'm watching it. Um, the Pretty Little Liars, Original Sin. They could do something like that. Cause they brought in like, here's one set of girls from the 80s, well, from the late 80s. And now you're dealing with the daughters. So therefore you could do something like that to where it's like, oh, there's, you know a mix of old and new. It could be
2: fun. Um, who knows? And there are some great divas from that whole 90s action era of TV. I mean, god, bring up Alba, get Jessica Alba back in here. Yeah, you know, from Dark Angel. You know, there's a Mm -hmm. now there's a show that could get a fucking beautiful reboot. You know, another (laughs) another version, another, (laughs) another version. Like right. Hell yes, let's get Alba back to do a baton toss and do another round of Dark Angel. Yeah, James just, Cameron, we're looking at you.
1: Yeah, just don't bring back green <laughs> That's all I'm
2: saying. Right. No, thank you. you. Thank neck. you. And I could do, hey, I could do with two more seasons of Legion. I could do with, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like there's some great properties out there that are keeping it complicated, keeping it mixed up. I mean, we got Gene Smart in the fucking mcu it's like we yeah we we got gene smart up in the mcu now that made my heart sing it's like yeah she's one of my favorite actors i love her hacks if you guys like to watch uh, another I hbo really i heard that was really good it's adorable it's intergenerational it's a great conversation i'm an old fuck you know you know i'm over 40 so i i'm starting to appreciate some of these storylines that speak to my generation a little bit uh mm-hmm. where we're also not being an asshole like that's another thing is like because usually my age range characters white old white guys we tend to end up these days being like the douche in a scene you know and that's fine because we are giant like across the board douches and we've (laughs) had our time it's over (laughs) so let's move (laughs) on but at the same token, it's like, there's a whole swath of us that aren't that way. Like a lot of us are very much trying to push the bar forward and stuff. And so I like to see roles that we're, you know, they, they uh, were complicated. We're a complicated character again, where we have depth, we have layers. Um, I've liked that for decades in all of uh, representations and all visibility. Mm-hmm. It's been making me crazy. I, my husband and I were literally just talking about this last night, how, unfucking believably whitewashed all of media was uh, while during our upbringing the 60s 70s and 80s it was f- fucking ridiculous that the only time you saw people of color on tv it was the news it mm-hmm. was it was it's it's palpable um and so uh hey Uh, We were talking about problematic shows from our time that aren't on streaming services, that specialize in retro shows and all that. There have been some things that I'm like, no, that will never, that should never come back. Like that, you know, we shouldn't laugh at that anymore.
0: Well, even like with cartoons, remember like there was a lot of uh, like the Looney Tunes cartoons where they would have like the the characters and blackface and with the big lips and whatnot and for a while they had cut those kind of scenes off
3: mm-hmm.
0: um and now they're just now adding them back in and i get i get why they're adding them back in and i also get why there's a a a notion as to leaving them off too like sure um, There was even like the suicide uh, when they would just shoot themselves in the head, like they would cut, they had those cut off. Um, So, yeah, there was a lot of problematic ass shit that we watched.
2: And here's the thing, especially with animation, and I've been saying this for a while, uh, with animated characters that are problematic, is they're animated, they're completely fucking fictional. They're an opportunity to tell a better story Mm -hmm. using, you know, Pepe Le Pew. There was an opportunity there to tell a better story and then suspend him from the fucking uh, basketball team for his behavior. Do you get where I'm going with this? It's like they didn't. It's like, yeah, 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 I've been saying this a lot. Uh, Okay, Neil Gaiman's updates to Sandman and stuff where it's still his work. He's in complete control. He made deliberate choices to diversify away from what the storyboards or the original graphic novel looked like and he caught caught a lot of flack for it and i i think it was unneeded i think it was ridiculous it was more of this fan and i put air quotes around the word when i use it in this regard there's a fan out there that thinks they have some sort of ownership to the material and Mm -hmm. and having a kinship to and then feeling like you have any kind of ownership of that's these are these are dramatically different emotional responses to the material uh hey dear fans you don't have any ownership in these Mm -hmm. characters if they speak to you they speak to you you're welcome to your opinions but most of the time i read like really hypercritical fan breakdowns and i and 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 a lot of times they boil uh they boil down to uh bias there's a lot of bias uh they don't like death they didn't like the woman kirby uh, uh, Kirby oh she's got three names Kirby's and then Baptiste she's married anyway I've been watching her for years speaking of Barry circling back and she's in the first like three seasons of Barry she's uh, in the acting class phenomenal actor and this is the thing that's pissing me off when fans fans get really upset about uh, uh, someone from a different ethnicity playing a role that got whitewashed cast, or cast mm-hmm. or originally sketched as a white woman you know kind of thing Get over it. Get the, the, These roles are going to the best actor available to us at the time. Stop doing this. It has to be an old fat white man from blah, blah. No, no. John mm-hmm. Constantine could Joanna Constantine. I think that was a brilliant update. I think that that's a brilliant spin. As much as I love the guy that plays Constantine in the live action versions and does the voice for the animated series, I love him. But at the same time, yeah. we got we gotta have fluidity, we gotta switch them up and move them Listen, around if this shit gets stale.
1: And this was done with, Neil was behind all of the cap. He was behind all of that. And he even said like, there was things that I wish he couldn't do back then that he was doing now. So it's really interesting how people got upset when I was like, Neil was behind all this. He's the one who was like, all this is fine with me. And if the man who created it all is saying, all oh, this is fine, this is what I want, I want this. I think he played a big role in the casting. He played a big role in how
2: the stories would be told. And, and that's why he's been defending it yeah. so fervently.
1: So yeah, I, 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 that's, we'll probably have to talk about Sandman. Um, Nick, I'll say watch it, um, and then we could really talk about it because it's a very good show. It, I enjoyed watching Sandman. I ate that up in two
2: days. I've gone through it twice now, even with the new extra oh, no. episode that dropped. Um, yeah, it, it, for, an a- for an adaptation, it is stunningly well done. You also see the seeds in this early uh, uh, story of Neal's, because this is one of his very first big published graphic novels, the endless series uh, featuring Sandman. And so this really launches his career, but you see the elements of Lucifer beginning to, f- you know, take hold in him as a creative writer. You see all of that in Sandman. If you so if you understand where it is in his timeline of work, it's incredibly telling as well. I think, all of the casting choices were brilliant. I think all of the adaptive parts of the story, because remember they have to condense for live action. You know, we can't do five pages of, of, of literary setup where we're describing the scene. We have to build the scene, you know, kind of a thing. And so uh, they, they did it wonderfully. Uh, and I think the chemistry between all of the actors is what is even more telling. Uh, And it's going to keep the show going. I mean, it's going to keep it running. Uh, I I think we're going to get three seasons out of this. um, Fingers crossed. And I think we might see a death spin out. Maybe even a mini, like a limited mini series. I'd love to see death in a spin out because I love Mm -hmm. what Kirby's bringing to it. I fucking love what she's bringing to it. I'm going to have to
0: try this out. Yeah.
2: It's good times. Cannot rave about it enough. Oh, oh my God. Let's talk about desire for a second let's talk about mason alexander park jesus christ i am crushing on this person so much
1: Uh, desire um is one of the endless um who's again it's desire so desire you have to think of the fact that desire can be so many different things and the way i look at desire is like how what you want what you're willing to get do for it especially when you want someone that sometimes the darkness that that brings into you being obsessive about someone or what have you. This character is out there and there is one scene and I even posted it on Twitter where um, Dream, that's the sad man, uh, confronts Desire and the way it was done, it's, it's done so in good. the comic. That scene is in the comic, but it looks so erotic. And that's where I was like, um. I kind of want to be in the middle of this right now, like it right, was,
2: exactly, exactly. Hi, Big Brother. Can I get you anything you desire? Yeah,
1: and it was like, interesting I, I was slowly crushing on Dream, but something about that kind of kind of got me. So I, I'm understanding a lot, and some of our um, some of the friends of the show have talked about how uh, hot Dream is. Um, so it's been it's an interesting show. So Nick, you gotta you gotta, you gotta check it out. Yeah, yeah. Desire is um,
2: non-binary. And he's just okay. amazing. And they are amazing. They are fucking amazing. Mason, crushing on you, Betty.
3: <laughs>
0: so apparently, uh, Black Mirror is coming back.
1: Black Mirror is returning. Which
0: is terrifying because we've been <laughs> living in a Black Mirror episode ever since 2016. So, what is, is going to be a documentary? Right, exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: well they it's gonna be interesting we got zazzy beats we got a few other people actors zazzy yeah
2: i fucking love her she's my domino she will be my domino from now to the end of time i love her i love her i love her, her so much
1: domino actually so yeah um in the next movie
2: she oh she better fucking be coming back as oh, domino.
1: yeah dark dark mirror black mirror is coming back um, for many of you, that's kind of our, this is this generation's Twilight Zone in a way. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's a pretty good show. There's been some standout shows. Um, some of us won Emmys already. Um, San Pablo, I'm saying that wrong, but there was that one um, that was really great between the lesbians over time. And um, it's, it's, it's really good. So we're going to see a new season coming with that. That could be what saves
2: <laughs> Netflix. I don't True know. Story. We don't need more than that. Sandman's, hel- Sandman's helping. Sandman's that, helping. Yes, It's Sandman. been in their number. It's been in their top 10 literally since it and dropped. And even
1: so. Stranger Things. Stranger Things came back super strong. I thought this was going to be like, girl,
2: I guess. But it was like, oh, okay. Y'all kind of got me this time. So, you know. I, I loved some of the fan critiques that were like, oh, no, they've gone for straight gore now. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now? Stranger Things <laughs> has always been gore. <laughs> Where the hell? Like, what did you just tune in? It's like Stranger yeah, Things is always getting been
1: gore. older. It's going to get that way as we get older. The same way with when well, no, I was going to say, say, Well, it as they got older, the the kills got
2: really crazy. Well, yeah. our ability to also to create hybrid, uh, practical special effects with CGI enhancements is is it's now it's it's endless it's that's a bottomless pit i mean we could dive down that rabbit hole in many different ways uh hey look what we did what they did with uh uh, the henson uh dark crystal reboot attempt where they you know they cg they used cgi in a way that they enhanced the practical puppets that made them even more lifelike more it just made them more and didn't Mm -hmm. overdo them it didn't make it didn't override them, you know, and kind of stuff. It, it, was, a, it was beautiful enhancements, and like the Skeksis. They got tongues now, which made their whole articulation make more sense and become more intimate, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I just got to actually give a quick, Simon Pegg, your Chamberlain in that was unreal. Your mimicry <laughs> of that original actor was unreal kudos to you simon Pegg. that shit was tight
3: <laughs> all right
2: um do we have anything else uh,
0: to talk about
2: yeah i'm looking yeah. at the list
0: um oh tevin campbell um oh finally acknowledge his sexuality which i'm glad that he did it on his terms The fact that he had to hide it for so long because he wasn't in a place to come out when he was uh, popular is very disappointing. And especially with Black people, it compounds that disappointment. But I'm glad that he, like, we are, I, I think the girls already knew his tea, which it's neither here nor there. But the fact that he had to even acknowledge it, it's kind of like a it is what it is kind of situation.
2: Well, I was actually baffled. I thought Kevin Campbell had come, in out,
0: had come out long ago. I thought so too, but I didn't want to say anything or look foolish. Like, you know, I didn't right, want you exactly. to take away from.
2: And if welcome. You I mean, yeah, just say like, yeah. welcome. Yeah. you know, we're glad you're here. Sorry, it took so long for you. Exactly. You're right. At that time, that Tevin Campbell was exploding in in hip hop, and in you know that would not have been the time for a black artist to come forward, especially a male, gay okay. male. I would have been a horrifically fucking hard time. Um, I mean I just remember some of the shit they gave Millie Vanilli over their look and the way they worked and stuff mm-hmm. back then and in pop in pop music and they gave these guys a rash of shit for other oh, queers or they're homos and stuff. It's like now this is this is BS um, I've spoken to a few black gay men in my lifetime um, who have expressed to me their lived experience and that it is harder for black gay men to come out Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you've got any level of celebrity, I can only imagine that that's compounded times 10.
0: Right. And in the music industry, like there was, I don't know of any, uh, except.
1: Wait, Nick. I was on mute.
0: mute. (laughs) I was on mute that whole fucking time. Uh, in, In black music, There was Sylvester. I don't know who else that was out and proud making music and was popular with Black.
1: Jermaine Stewart. Jermaine Stewart, Mm a little bit. um, And I feel like he got away with it because he was over there. (laughs) It was was a little bit easier, but I think he was considered out, kind of, but his music, didn't always reflect that, but I think he was living out.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And like Te- Tevin's music was after the uh, the outrage you know, disco was dead and the blatant homophobia and sexism that went along with that. And then in the 90s you know, we had the uh, the don't ask, don't tell, Bill. Um, and so I can understand why he couldn't come out or didn't feel safe to come out. And plus you had music execs and all of that trying to sell and pitch this image of this handsome, black wholesome, man. Wholesome, wholesome. Yeah, talking about his woman or whatever. So you you couldn't,
2: you couldn't, so... Tevin, for me, if I remember, a lot of his early music in his early, uh, you know, uh, releases uh, te- kind of walked that fence line between popular, you know, pop music and hip hop and uh, gospel. He still kept kind mm-hmm. of a kind of a, a foot back in that genre as well, which is why I think what helped Eve him even come up inside the scene and stuff but no uh, it, it, it's lee pace not to try to circle back but uh, but celebrities in general it's hard lee pace just came out uh and is that he's getting married he's a big mm-hmm. actor on uh, foundation on uh, apple tv you've seen him in pushing daisies and hundreds mm-hmm. of other things he's just released the news that he's been in a relationship for 25 years you know uh, cassandra peterson uh, a.k.a. Uh, Elvira Mistress of the Dark. She came out just last yep. year having been married to a woman for 20-something years. I think uh, so a lot of these celebrities that are used, that we're hearing about coming out now, or at least just acknowledging that they've been in these long-term relationships, they're part of a generation that when you, you brought up Don't mm-hmm. Ask, Don't Tell, uh, many professional professions adopted Don't Ask, Don't Tell as well. So doctors, mm-hmm. lawyers, actors, celebrities, and media personalities adopted that okay, I can be gay in my private life as long as I don't make it public. And so that actually, Lily Tomlin, she did the same thing. A lot of celebrities were encouraged by their management, their team, their PR people, people in their you know uh, circles to not come out publicly about that, because it would diminish their uh, audience appeal um, mm-hmm. and stuff. And so, yeah, uh, uh, hey, any celebrity that's willing to actually put their personal life out on the line like that applaud, because visibility is huge for all of us um and it's so over. so welcome mr campbell to the lgbtqia sounds like you've already been here <laughs> but here's your pin right here's yeah. your pin wear it proudly and New orientation
0: packets are to the left
2: and you'll get your toaster on the way out right because <laughs> you know we're giving away toasters right for recruiting
0: the sunbeam we can't we can't go for black and decker we don't have that kind of money
2: (laughs) really black and decker is that the the go-to brand now okay cuisinart for me
0: for kitchen stuff allegedly (laughs) Allegedly. i I like cuisinart but you know now we're gonna last week we were uh talking about uh restaurants of yesteryear now we're going to talk about kitchen appliances um so
2: (laughs) hey i grew up the first kitchen appliances i recall were avocado green and they all matched Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah we had that (laughs) yes uh, mushroom sconces everywhere right (laughs) yeah though my mother's probably never had a mystic mushroom a day in her life she wouldn't even she wouldn't even know she wouldn't (laughs) even know what that was about and stuff yeah i look at a lot of our 70s decor and i think to myself my mom had no clue she had none no idea (laughs) no idea
0: uh, is there anything else for us uh, as far as King Size Issue?
1: No, but we can go ahead and just jump on in there.
0: I may I may stay. My bad. I'm... <laughs> but yeah, let's jump into King's Size Issue. It's going to be an interview with a rocket of the Rocket Review Podcast. So let's just get down to it. Get out my handy dandy here questions. So how did the Rocket Review podcast originate?
2: Wow, that is an interesting and kind of lengthy story. I'll, I'll lay out the timeline. So uh, back probably six or so years ago, I began teaching uh, kink and BDSM classes, holding discussions, teaching classes on best practices, safety oriented kind of situations on an assortment of kinks uh, everything from anything from impact play to electro play i did some demonstrations and some talks on uh, different types of bondage whether that be rope or saran wrap or duct tape or any number of things Uh, zip ties you know um, i've talked about the difference between Uh, Shibari rope uh, bondage, and more chain and cuff domination. Um, And I've spoken at a number of events uh, across the country. Um, uh, And it was all in an effort to stem uh, something the industry sex educators are calling the 50 shades effect. Uh, so when those books and movies came out, uh, they painted a very fanta- fantasy version of kink and BDSM, um, and, but they do not do uh, at all a good ver- uh, uh, job of discussing the realities of sex and kink, as in consent, uh, negotiation, what does it mean to have boundaries, things like that. Uh, they, again, it's just a big fantasy. So a lot of educators started coming out into the world to do that. In 2020, I was launching a fetish apparel line, and this was going to be a con- conjoined part of the marketing plan. Was to continue to teach, bring it online, possibly start a podcast. Uh, then, of course, you know, 2020 hits, March 2020, the pandemic, all the shutdowns, and so I shut down teaching in public and I move it all online. And eventually, my apparel line would get boxed up and put on the shelf. Uh, supply chains have just, just you know, really made it impossible to keep going with manufacture. So fast forward in uh, 2022, I'm sorry, in 2020, uh, I'm sorry, in 2021, I, I launched the Rocket Review and I did three 12 week series that were all focused specifically in different themes of sex, sexual health, kink or BDSM. So like the first set of 12 episodes is about transformation and how powerful it is uh, when you accept your sexual being, when you come out even uh, to your partner about certain aspects of sex and kink. It can be very empowering. and can be very transformative. And so then in the second series, I talked about best practices. Let's start talking about the education behind sex and kink. And let's talk about the evolution of our psychology and our understanding in modern psychology. And so I brought in all the experts uh, that series. And then the final series in the first three was all about, uh, the adult entertainment industry and what has been going on inside it, uh, and how the deplatforming and the demonetization had been affecting people. Um, and then by December of 2021, uh, we will have huge purges on different platforms. And I find myself thrust into the sex work uh, activism realm uh, by the time we get into 2022. And so uh, in 2022, I was approached by Jester Fans as my presenting sponsor, and they asked me to do an entire season, and so I am uh, right around the middle point of a 36-week run this year, and we'll wrap up season four of the Rocket Review on December 3rd with the, uh, the, the Arizona chapter of Free Mom Hugs. I like to bring the in each It's the most wholesome family related show I do every year. And it's the only kind of family friendly show that I do every year. But yeah, we got the mom hugs coming in December 3rd for our wrap up and it's been an amazing season. I've got to have on phenomenal people like Porter and start branching out away from our normal topics into how do these topics affect the rest of our lives, you know, kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's been a wonderful ride and I've gotten, like I said, to meet amazing people like you and Victor and and thank you so much for having me on. So there's the gist. That is how the Rocket Review was born. It was born out of a desire to educate and share best practices. I do not have any interest in being famous. I'd rather be informative uh, than any of that kind mm-hmm. of mess. Uh, so there it is. There's me in a pinch.
1: <laughs> I like that. I like how you said that you'd rather be informative than famous. I, that is really very key, very important, especially when it comes to explaining kink and explaining, you know, sex work to a lot of people. Um, My question is, let's think about the mindset. I think sometimes people are not, they see it, they see it on Just For Fans. They see all, they follow certain people. They like, oh, look at them, look at them, look at what they're doing. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm gonna do that too. Or I wanna participate, or I wanna do all that great stuff. What would you say to people who are, how would you get? How would you help them mentally prepare for entering those specific kinks and likes and things like that, to where they're not going in feeling shame or feeling some guilt? How would you mentally or help them mentally prepare for that?
2: Well, th- no, that's a fantastic question, and it's something I do. I coach a lot of novices coming into kink and BDSM. Um, uh, couples, solos, singles, help them just first and foremost, if you're coming into the, you know, the BDSM communities, um, you need to figure, you need to figure out a few things inside yourself first. And that would be, are you more, you know, heteronormative leaning? Are you more queer pansexual leaning? You know, what kinds of, other players are you going to want to interact with? Not so much about the fetishes specifically just yet, but the other kinds of players that you're going to want to interact with. Um, a big thing to start thinking about when you are getting into modern kink and BDSM exploration is is this a cathartic, non sexualized exploration for you? Or is this something that is a prelude or a warm up to something that can become sexualized? Because uh, kink is breaking in two very different ways for a lot of people these days. There is what I refer to lovingly as the platonic kinkster who they're into art shabari and suspension, and they do a lot of the things they're doing fully clothed, and it's not sexualized. In other words, the act of the bondage in and of itself is where we're going today. It's providing the catharsis that we're looking for. I find this big with ABDL or adult baby diaper lover, infantilism, infantilistic play, uh, tends to start really bringing a lot of this in. It's very cathartic. People are checking out and they're gaming for a while in their diapers and having fun. And they're uh, de- they're decompressing from all of that day-to-day stress and life anxiety um, and, uh, and just, High, you know, mentally decompressing, you know, letting it go um, and finding a le- great catharsis in it. Again, not particularly sexualized. There is then the other side of that where there's the infantilist player who it's time for my changing. And that's, again, it gets into a more sexualized aspect. So again, decide for yourself before you even start trying to look for communities, decide which way this is breaking for you. Is it a, is it a turn on to a sex act or is it its own act in and of itself, and sex doesn't really come into play. So once you decide, and you figure out that question, then it's just a a matter of getting online and start looking in your community for local organizations. Some uh, members only, you know, groups are gonna be harder to find at first, but when, once you get involved with them, then you're in, you're usually, you become family. Don't be afraid to ask questions from anybody. And if they, and if anybody in the community is shitty because you ask a question, move on. They're not for you, you know, kind of a thing. So that's the other advice is decide which of these two breaks where this breaks for you and then find the community that best fits. And don't be afraid to ask, ask every question, ask all the questions. There are no stupid ones there are no dumb questions in bdsm
0: i've seen a um there's a lot of people that i'm familiar with in my community that are into kinks or uh, whether it be pub play or whatever the case may be and i've seen a lot of people online discuss their kinks and whatnot but a lot of these the, the vast majority of these people are cisgender gay, white, male. How does the intersection of kink and ethnicity play a part with the added layer of the human
2: psychology being involved? Well, this is is a very complex question because it's got a very complex answer. Uh, so in the United States, yes, uh, there is a very old, white, cisgendered, cis male uh, core in leather, gay leather. Um, I'm finding that the more pan-bi and heteronormative leaning kink communities are moving well past a lot of the constrictions that we find in, in old guard gay male leather. We're I'm seeing a lot of, of, of change up in mm-hmm. that more uh inclusive community um uh, uh, there will always be that contingent uh that feels some sort of ownership to leather lifestyle in general uh but i ignore that 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 i ignore that contingent it's it's very minute and it's dying out quite quickly mm-hmm. um uh, I will come right out and say that when you find yourself crossing that sort of stuff in, in the kink scene, um, it's got a big, strong basis in racism and just bigotry, just bias in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a huge gay male bias uh, sometimes against uh, women in the scene, even fe- you know, femdoms in general. There's, I've encountered a lot of bias against trans men. Uh, and and mm-hmm. in the scene, uh, yet you'll find that same bias doesn't always apply to trans women, which is just a disgusting hypocrisy and, uh, and, and really gross on its mm-hmm. face. Um, I've been fighting since I came into the gay leather scene to be more inclusive, to allow the rest of our community in. We shouldn't be so isolated anymore anymore. Uh, there was a time when being a gay male leather dude of any color uh, required you to be incredibly on the down low. Uh, you know, you had to hide because that stuff, it, it's could still get you fired from a job. Let's be clear. It's not like sex positivity has changed the entire world's viewpoint right. on King. Um, uh, you still need to uh, be selective in the audiences with which you out yourself and share your uh, explorations and your desires. Uh, that, that'd be my other big uh, advice to someone new coming into Sex and Kink uh, uh, is be very careful whom you divulge, because what happens is as we start getting excited, exploring, we want to share that excitement with our friends, our family members to a degree not all of them are going to be prepared for that some of them will never be ready for that conversation and you have to decide that per person that's an individual case-by-case case thing uh, i say i apply the same advice to the adult entertainment industry you need to be selective as to who you let in as to what you're doing for a profession or you know or on the slide for fun as this might be um the psychology of race and kink is something that is getting more and more uh, discussed because for a long, long time, guys mm-hmm. like me have been very uncomfortable talking about race play. I don't partake in it. It makes mm-hmm. me, it's just, it's a boundary for me. I don't even do it professionally. I would not, I wouldn't even take it as a role in an adult uh, feature because it's I just, I'm not fucking comfortable with that level of play. That said, it's a perfectly acceptable ethical level of play if you're approaching it correctly. Communication, negotiation, and making sure that both parties are actively, enthusiastically consenting to it. And then you got to keep that in its right place and time. You can't bring an antebellum scenario into a a mainstream kink event into the vendor mall. Like that's not going to go, that's not going to fly. It's not going to fly. Uh, but neither would a scat scene or a water sports scene in the middle of a vendor mall. That's not going to fly there either. Time and place. All kinks, most all kinks and fetishes can be explored ethically uh, in their right time and place and with their right audiences. Um,
0: I, 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 there's a, there's some kinks I would like to explore with my partner and he's white, but there's a, a level of, like, if you want me to get tied up, then there's something that is prohibiting me to getting over that boundary. And I don't know what it is. And it's I was like, is it from a, a race, like, boundary thing? I, I, I don't know how to get over that, you know?
2: Uh, so this is where coaching can come in uh, handy. Uh, myself and a growing number of both professional slash lifestyle kinksters because I work as a pro dom and adult entertainer. I also work as a on-set coach for BDSM and fetish adult content shoots. So I might not be in the scene, but I'm there coaching other actors who are particularly maybe playing with a fetish that they don't know very well uh, kind of a thing. And just coaching, making sure, again, everyone is on board with what is about to happen in this scene, directionally, toys, whatever technique might need to be discussed. Furniture positions; mm-hmm. um, these things are all, yeah, very, very much. A coach can be very helpful in these. Uh, you and your partner might consider sitting down with a coach that has an expertise or a specialty in race play scenarios in the kink scene, and to to help you because they may have some some uh, some common things that come up with couples of mixed you know, culture, uh, mm-hmm. that are trying to come to this level of play. Uh, look, my own partner will not, my own husband, no impact play. He, the idea of him striking me with a paddle almost brings him to tears. It is not anything. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. No playing with big dildos and in and the slang. And, and that's a different thing. That's enjoyment and fun, but the idea of bondage, of taking control of me in that manner. No, that is not in his mechanism. That is not in his persona. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tell this story all the time. He was helping me open some Amazon deliveries one day and he pulled out a bamboo paddle sitting right here. Matter of fact, pulls out this bamboo paddle and he's looking it over, admiring the construction, commenting on how well it's made, how light it is. And never once does he even slap his own hand with it, let alone say, all right, bend over. We're going to take it for a, And I mean, I was literally like the cat, like my ass in his face, you know, bounce, twerking, bouncing up and down. Not that I can actually twerk, that doesn't happen for me. But, you know, the the, the Caucasian version of a twerk, you know, where I was just basically bouncing my butt in his face. Nope, it never, the thought to take that for a test swing never even occurred to that man. And that was one of the days I went, yep, you are a pure, sweet, sexy, you know, this has nothing to do with his sex appeal. None of whatsoever. This is this is a thing that I enjoy and I can go get that itch scratched with other participants and players. <laughs> Circling back to what you were discussing, that is a very complex issue. You and your partner would definitely want to sit down maybe with a coach and work through each of your uh, emotions about that scene and playing at that level. There's also ways There's also, you guys can play with kink and BDSM as top and bottom and it not have anything to do with your race at all, you know? And that can be part of your negotiation and your discussion is let's avoid these words while we're playing. Oh yeah, well, well, that that kind of uh,
0: kink I I can't do uh, because I will, I know how short of temper I have and I you say something that that's that's not the kind of kink i can do I, i'm maybe like referring to something as like rope or something of the sort like getting tied up because yeah that, so, that race that race kind of kink uh, that does not fly with me at all and
2: it doesn't it, it doesn't for a vast majority of players you yeah. know But again, we're going back into uh, once you all have negotiated the scenario, make it clear that, okay, I don't want any uh, racial dirty talk. Let's Mm -hmm. let's just make sure. Let's just leave that. Let's just put that out now. Put a hard no on it. We don't have to play with that. But here are the kind of things I might be interested in hearing. Like, I'm your sweet little boy. I'm your and any number of pet names, pet things you guys come up for with each other some people hearing those might think on its face, Oh, that's gross. I would never call my African-American partner. You know, I would never call my partner that, but guess what? That's not your scene. So fuck off. It's like, they negotiated that between the two of them and you know, you don't get to stick your head in and, you know, give notes. If you're invited in, well, that's a different scenario. Uh, But um uh, again, just go over, talk to each other. But this is the part I talk about all the time where sex or kink and BDSM scenarios have a non-sexy component that has to happen at the beginning, at some, sometime in the f- forefront of that. And I always say, don't do it 15, don't try to have that conversation 15 minutes before sexy time. Right. You know, uh, do that over brunch when sexy time is like this afternoon or this evening you know, have the talk on a different day completely when you're just sitting there having some Netflix and chill and, Hey, you know, we've been talking about this. Let's talk for a minute while well, we're not. And you never know just talking about it and laying out and negotiating can sometimes be a catalyst to That's having true. a really good time, you know, That's kind of true. thing, but With all BDSM and kink, there is a non-sexy component that has to happen for it to be ethical, for it to be supportive, and for it to be truly cathartic and of benefit to both of you or to all players in play. Again, yeah, communicate, negotiate, and then consent. And that's enthusiastic that's like, yep, 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 I like the idea of that, we're doing that, we're doing that today. Please, please, yes, please, you know, kind of thing. And then continue to check in because consent is not ironclad. It can be removed at any point in time by any of the players. You as the top, you as the bottom. If you've reached your line, safe words. I am huge preach, 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 and proponent about safe words. Uh, A safe word is an all stop button. Once that word is uttered, all play stops. And we move into aftercare mode. We take you down off of the crust and it's time to cuddle up in a, you know, fuzzy robe and watch cartoons or, you know, whatever our aftercare plan is. Cause again, we, we set that up in the communication, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one of the biggest things I see with novice uh, couples coming to King play is they don't set up an aftercare plan after the scene, after they've enjoyed each other, the endorphins are raging, Because aftercare is important because of that that drop that'll happen right after the scene. And there's an endorphin crash that happens. And that can be very emotional for some people considering what we just did in the playroom. And so, again, you got to walk through, figure out what's going to work best for each other and and form a plan. Because tops need aftercare too. Like my shoulders, I usually need a shoulder rub if I've been doing a lot of flogging or a lot of impact stuff. My arms are tired. I could Mm -hmm. use a little shoulder rub after we're done, you know, that, that, you know, doms, the tops need aftercare just as much as the bottoms do as well. And so it's important for both, both players to be engaged and enrolled in the scene. There's this misconception sometimes that the top is in total control and that the bottom is just there submitting and just taking whatever the top dishes out. And that's a very grand misconception in the ethical approaches to, to consensual kink uh, oftentimes. With novices, I will that are submissive to me. I will lay out a series of toys. I will have them select toys that are hard yeses, maybes, and then no. Please don't touch me with that toy. Or no, I don't like that toy, but it's okay for punishment. <laughs> it's like it's okay when I've been naughty. You know, kind of, it's like oh, okay, so we'll keep that toy with the spikes on it for when you've been a brat, <laughs> and we'll keep this lighter bamboo one for when we're just warming up your tushy for maybe some boom boom you know kind of action going on <laughs> Does that help answer your question a little bit yes the idea. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah and, and i like that because i think what people and i, I kind of said this at the beginning what they see it all you know they see it um one i, I one in particular and it's one that i'm familiar with is like grant boys a lot of that is that consent and they say it a lot like they say all the things like boy and you know this is what you want it right and stuff like that. And a lot of people kind of, you know, think, oh, that'd be hard to do that. And I'm like, I think people don't understand there's probably between them conversations about what is gonna happen, what's gonna be done, how it's gonna be done to where they all feel comfortable with each other and doing this type of content. Um, so I think some people should pay more attention to stuff like that. And I think I'm glad that you mentioned that. But now I'm curious into how did you get to a place where you felt comfortable not only in getting into kink, but teaching
2: that to people. Wow. Oh my gosh. Fabulous question. I'm not sure I am like completely comfortable teaching. Um, And I've talked to a good number of other kink and BDSM educators. And it's something that uh, is kind of baseline to a lot of us is this, uh, at times overwhelming sense of imposter syndrome, like what the fuck authority do I have to sit here and stuff. So there's that, there, there is that component that I think also helps keep me focused on making sure that I'm informative and that I'm not being salacious. I'm not here to titillate past the fact that we're talking about toe sucking or whatever, you know, our topic might be. I'm not here to titillate as much as I'm here to inform. Um, and if I'm entertaining at all, well, it's just because I was a comic for a long time. And I also employ a lot of humor when we start getting into the thick, complex, complicated things. Uh, but that doesn't always work, right? Humor can backfire big when you're having these kinds of discussions. And so I, I, I tell everyone, temper that. How it came about for me was I saw an entire generation coming into sex and kink, getting no, uh, uh, no uh, hand over hand. They weren't getting handed any best practices. They were kind of floundering uh, 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 to themselves. And I remembered distinctly what that feeling was like for me when I came out in my early 20s uh, into gay, cisgendered male leather, which I'm going to be honest, back in my day, consent consisted of you showed up and then didn't press charges later like that was consent back in my day. You know, we didn't do a lot of, we didn't do any communication and negotiation. There was just a lot of, you learned to, uh, sally through, you know, a scene, you learned to tolerate and endure, endure a lot of things, uh, on your way to finding the things that turned you on, the things that made you go, yeah, yeah, do more of that. Um, and so, uh, I speak to that. I speak to that now is I don't want, uh, new generations and of folks coming into Kink and BDS, I don't want them to have to go through those experiences. I don't want them to have to have those traumas to then have to unpack so mm-hmm. that they can come back later. Because I had to unpack some stuff uh, after I had some bad run-ins early on in my early 20s. I had to unpack some stuff, reevaluate what I wanted from this, what I needed from this, and then find that community that sliver of the community and now that sliver of the community that it was uh, was the minority and the niche then it's now the majority of of kink in general, I find is it's inclusive. It's all about the communities, the multiple communities that we have, uh, because we are we're many different communities. You know, we've got puppies and ABDLs, and now we've got ABDL puppies, and then now we've got uh, you know old guard leather guys. We've got uniform leather guys. We've got uh, leather women. You know, we are all these different communities under a big umbrella of BDSM and kink, and we have every reason to work well together every reason to go to events and, and create things and opportunities to cross over and share. That's my biggest thing is let's share our best practices, our lived experience, uh, uh, and and help the next generation, again, not have to survive unpacking the deal with traumas.
1: That, that was helpful um, in, in a way because I, again, I do feel like what social media has done, what OnlyFans, what just fans has done is expose more people to it. But I don't think sometimes they understand what are the, the, the details, the tools um, for people to be successful in it um, to a point where they feel comfortable doing it. I think of um, one in particular, he um, calls himself Jock. Um, but it's Lawrence uh, from Britain. I think he's, no, he's from Wales. And he—he's. we've watched him learn a lot about that. But I think at one point he talked about like what he's learned when he's interacted with other people. And I think some people need to understand about themselves before they really get into it. Like Nick was saying, there's parts of me that I don't know if I can be tied up by any person, but that's more of my security. My What is it that holds me up from that? Um, but at the same time, there's parts of me that want to be dominated. And what is it that I want to be dominated, in? and why is that? What do I find pleasure in? So I think those are very important parts that we do need to explore before we really get into the into any of the play. Right.
2: Yeah, No, truly, your first step in kink and BDSM is going inside as far inside of yourself as you can get, um, and start exploring where where do these desires stem from. Uh, the thing that I, the question I always try to put in the back of your mind while you're asking those, doing that self-evaluation is, is uh, you're asking yourself, is this healthy for me? That's the, the umbrella question. Is this healthy for me? Is this exploration going to be healthy for me? Um, and you might not know till you dabble a little bit whether something's going to be healthy for you or not. Um, right. uh, you may even dabble with something and go, it's not harmful, but it's not serving me in the way I had hoped, or I had thought, or I had maybe imagined it might. Uh, 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 That, I find that too. uh, uh, Again, this this is really cool the way these two uh, worlds cross over, Adult Entertainment and BDSM. um, You know, when you come to both of these as a novice, uh, uh, these things are very overlapping a lot these days, is uh, uh, again, decide the kind of player you want to be. And then for couples, the thing that i like to, to say and get out in front of couples that are coming to kink and bdsm as a way to spice up the relationship or add add something you know to the relationship my advice to that is is make sure your relationship dynamics are sound before you try to start adding in kink and bdsm because adding in kink and bdsm as a way to fix a dynamic that is already in crisis is not it's not the Mm. way gang it will only in fact compound the existing issues and make it even harder to try and then fix the dynamic the the foundation of that end so that's where i say is is if your relationship foundation is solid and y'all are just ready to start playing around with new things then get a coach and go for it or find a fun dungeon that you both like and start attending events and start just dipping your toe in meet with a professional and, and, and ask them to give you a couples session where maybe they help coach whoever's going to be the dom or they coach both of you to be the dom And you guys can learn to switch. There's all sorts of really great ways to interact with uh, even some professionals in the BDSM scene that could help coach you down a great path onto self-exploration. But I always say this, even in your own individual dynamic, if you aren't uh, approaching relationships in a healthy manner, adding sex and kink is not going to make that easier or better. You know, you're not, yeah, it, it, it's not going to, yeah. You got to really kind of, you got to do your own work first. This is a, uh, this is in addition to, Sex and Kink is in addition to not a fix or a, it, yeah, it's not a fix. It's not going to fix anything.
1: That is good to know. And people should think about that. It's not a fix. It's something that,
2: yeah, yeah, I think it,
0: people. Right
1: with you. It needs to come in. You have to have a strong foundation to bring something
0: this Mm -hmm. i think people tend to look at kinks as a sort of fix like for example adding a third person to play with when you haven't had the conversation of having a third what's what's the third going to look like who can choose a third who what if that third is into more of you rather than the other person and then the jealousy comes in it i've heard horror stories about how people try to fix their relationship by having a threesome and a threesome just blew it all out the water so it's the terms and conditions do need to
2: be read oh yeah yeah make sure you've gone through all the fine the fine print with a comb um again this is sort of uh, a, a sex coach a sexual coach a bdsm or kink coach even can come in handy to help you with some tools to start dialoguing about it uh, mm-hmm. I, I have a small checklist questionnaire i give uh, couples or even poly Uh, Cues. I've been working uh, recently with uh, uh, threesomes and foursomes that are poly dynamics that are starting to explore kink um, as well, and so uh, that's always an intriguing component. Uh, Again, you got to make sure that the foundation of the actual just relationship dynamic, you know, the vanilla day to day dynamic, is solid before you start adding in things like sex and kink or uh, kink and BDSM because they're not a fix. Uh, if anything, they're going to open more doorways and more. Uh, once you start exploring sex, you know, or kink and BDSM, uh, more doors and windows start opening. You, mm-hmm. you, more things start coming your way. And so if your dynamic is shaky and not a good foundation, it's only going to start piling on more weight on top of that. And it's just going to, it's, it, it'll, it'll crack it, it'll finish it off and stuff.
0: Do you find that? people who engage in poly relationships tend to be those that are more grounded in their relationships versus
2: those that have just one partner? This is a fantastic question. Um, I don't think that there is, I think that there is, I think that there are just as many good approaches to poly an example out there as there are bad examples out there. I think that, but they're in the same convex. I think that in regular monogamous relationships, there's just as many good examples as there are bad examples. Mm-hmm. I think that when it comes down to, especially poly uh, polyfam kind of style dynamics, where you've got multiple partners, uh, the biggest uh, challenge to that is communication is to making sure that everyone is communicating um, first and foremost truthfully within themselves. Am I lying to myself about how I feel about this, or am I being honest with myself about my feelings about this poly cue? Once you've addressed that and you've made sure that you're being honest to yourself, then you have to be honest to the rest of the group. Um, there's been a lot of talks recently where you know I, I hear I hear some poly gurus. I'm putting you know air quotes around that, experts will say, oh, jealousy shouldn't exist in a poly group. And I'm like, then I hear actual realist psychologists who speak to poly say, no, 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 it's perfectly normal for you to might have a little jealousy over another partner's amount of time with or whatever. It's how you address that jealousy in and of yourself and in your group. That's where this becomes... Uh uh, uh 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 communicative you have to communicate what's going on within yourself maybe that's in writing maybe that's in a group text which whew, let's be careful I, I i i i i don't recommend trying to deal with heavy <laughs> topics in the group text right that's you know save that for family dinner you know kind of a thing and that's another big too is if you're if you're working on a on a poly q you know, kind of dynamic, you have to decide what what are the dynamics for each of you in it. In other words, do we wanna be a big group family that all know each other or are we, you know, individual relationships that all know of one another, we all know each other one and exist, but our relationships do not overlap. You know, there's a lot of different ways to poly, Uh, with gay men we hear it a lot as oh well we have an open relationship which generally means we'll play together but we'll play separately as well you know uh, uh, um, I'm finding a lot more heteronormative couples are you know leaning into that style of poly uh, as well whereas we're both dating other people but we talk about who we're dating together Mm -hmm. you know uh, kind of a situation again setting up the dynamics of a poly relationship, an open dynamic, uh, 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 however that is, it all boils down to communicating with each other and being perfectly honest with yourself. And whether that's, hmm, I that was a ping of jealousy. I just experienced a ping of jealousy. I'm going to have to, I need to analyze that and figure out why did that ping happen and how can I, you know, move past it and then maybe not let it come up again is usually... Is usually the thing I get is, yeah. So there, yeah, it, it's it, dynamics all re- boil down to uh, the foundation that you create in the beginning um, is where your dynamics going to go. That's. I, I, I
0: the, very,
1: oh, sorry, Dick.
0: Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, I, I always, I guess this was foolish of me, to assume that uh, people who engage in poly relationships are more sure of themselves and their partners and it's good to know that some can be just as fucked up as you know monogamous relationships
2: um no i and i i, I appreciate what you just said that, that from the outside these things yeah. can appear to be like these people appear very confident and they appear very yeah no they're just like everybody else they're they're working on the complexities they're working on their dynamic which is a constantly ever changing you know formorphious situation no 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 if they come i, I get this a lot too as, as a pro it's like oh you're so confident so you know sure yourself it's like yeah oh my god yeah it's, it's masking all the raging insecurity going on inside <laughs> it's stuff uh, i again i think that i've we've seen some amazing approaches to poly and to multiple partner, you know, even sexual dynamics. In the last decade, we've seen psychology grow immensely in its understanding about some of the best practices. And so I think in this next decade, we're gonna see more expertise start giving us the uh, self-help tools that we need for this. The, you know, the self-help books, the great maps, roadmaps to, okay, here's how our dynamic worked for 20 years and still seems to be working. Here's an idea for your dynamic to set up. Um, I've talked to two different folks over the years that set up leather families, uh, you know, kind of things. And these can be coast to coast. They can be all living together. uh, And there's lots of different approaches to that. There's sometimes I've even heard of, oh, I'm an associate member of that leather family. Which means I'm not in the there specifically full time, but I am part of their more mm-hmm. you know tertiary circle and and stuff, and so yeah, it, it you have to first and foremost decide how you want to build a dynamic um, before you even start trying to look for partners. You know, you kind of need to have an idea of the kind of dynamic that you you know think works for you. Um, the other thing, too, is, is, is like Porter just said, don't look at something on its face at the marquee. Don't look at the, the, the marquee and assume you understand what's going on inside the actual pages of the book, you know, kind of a thing. Because especially in kink and BDSM, you know, there is a level of kink called s standard model you know where we like to put on airs and where we like to make sure that no one thinks anything's wrong or, you know and it's just like that just like every other as- you know aspect of life right and stuff so yeah don't don't be fooled by what looks like a solid thing go and ask them about their dynamics sit them down to a drink and say, tell me about your dynamic, I'm dying to understand, I'm I'm growing my own understanding. Uh, Most folks will be very, and inside the kink and swing community will be very open to talking to you about that. As long as they, especially they know you're not recording them or you're about to go live with it or something like that. If you're just having an off, off the cuff conversation. I find kinksters are absolutely always willing to talk about what's going on and what works for them and what didn't work for them. right.
1: I'm very, I'm always curious. This is always curious stuff for me, just because I, I, I again, I feel like it's growing. It's, especially in our community, we're seeing a lot of people really get into it. You know, every, I feel like every gay on earth when it comes to Twitter is always in a jock or showing something with a harness. And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I think y'all doing that for show, um, but I'm seeing it as really growing in everything else. And from your experience from the industry, since when you got into now, how have you seen the, what have been the changes? How have you seen the changes really evolve in a a good sense, maybe in the bad sense? How, since you got in into where you are now, how have you seen those changes?
2: Um, So when I enter adult, it's as a hair, makeup, and wardrobe stylist back in the 90s. I worked on set in the video days, when we were still doing video. I was just young enough uh, to, to miss the film days. So I missed the film uh, adult industry days. I was in the, in the cut my teeth in the video days. Um, and I was also working mainstream film, video work and production. And so uh, I honestly did not tackle it as a professional in any different manner than I did other shoots. It was just, it was just another production. They just happened to be naked and getting it on. Whereas this other, you know, shoot, where they're semi-naked and they're in posers and they're trying to yeah you know, i just found the adult side a lot easier to work it honestly because it was just more honest to what they were trying to do and what they were trying to create um at the, that time too though i'm watching the industry be hateful to bisexual men to gay men in the industry aids is still a huge issue and so it's preventing a lot of 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 guys in my lifetime at that age and that Point from crossing over into on-camera work as opposed to staying behind the camera. Probably one of the biggest, most profound changes I've seen in the last decade, and the uh, the advent of the internet coming into the distribution of adult content has really blown that open. But fetish content, particularly kinky, you know, BDSM related content. Used to be nothing the mainstream industry would even touch. They wouldn't go fucking near it. They wouldn't, it was a specialty, specialized niche underground, you know, uh, venture and there were probably one or two global entities that were even doing it on any level of scale or production value. Um, And again, these, these video cassettes were often even widely traded, like, you know, in a truck, you know, in the, in uh, in the trunk of your car, you know, and you're selling them out of, you know, in a parking lot somewhere, uh, because if there were a lot of federal legalities around what could and couldn't be. Uh, So in the 80s, Larry Flint, and Playboy get chased down by what are now the anti-trafficking movements. They're just anti-porn movements every decade or so they rebrand. But they're still very much uh, evangelically-based prohibitionists. That's all. They're trying to shut down adult, period. Um, And so fetish content has exploded. And creating it at almost every level, and the ability now to create it at really great production value has exploded. And so, in the last decade, I've seen very niche style performers build amazing audiences. Uh, we've got femdoms, you know, with you know, hundred and fifty thousand followers on Twitter now. Whereas, again, even a decade ago, if you saw a femdom with ten thousand followers. She was something in the industry, you know what I mean? Like she was, she was somebody, you know, she had done some serious work. She was a mistress cyan, you know, at that level. And uh, um, that nowadays we're, again, we're seeing the ability to create niche specific custom videos is a huge market with a lot of different, it's a huge section of my adult content creation. Uh, and that's where I work directly one-on-one with the customer, the client asking me to create something specific to their fantasy, using their name, using their affectations, their gear. Sometimes even they send props, you know, uh, you know, or yeah, the, the, the requests get very specific. Um, and it's, it's, it's breathtaking. Sometimes it's been an interesting change on that same topic though, we've seen how the internet and the institution or the institutionalization of free porn the concept of free porn uh has made it really hard to be a mainstream ethical adult content creator there's a lot of amateurs out there giving it away for free or putting it out there for very little money who aren't applying the same level of ethics and pre you know show production pre-production you know stuff that goes on that unsexy stuff as i like to call it uh they aren't doing any of that. They, you know, they're just making content, uh, and stuff. So we're in a situation where we're about to see a big change over federally. Uh, the industry needs to start self-regulate regulating. Um, but when you start talking about sex work, uh, we have a problem in this country cause it's still highly criminalized. And so, uh, uh we're, we we do not have any unions. We don't have any, you know, good representation. We have a lot of Smaller sex work in this country is getting a lot of good nonprofit representation uh, more and more, but then that doesn't always represent the adult entertainment side of the situation. So we've got a lot of, of, of holes in our industry that we need to sew up so that we can actually start talking to our, our representation in Washington, start talking to our government representation because uh, they're shutting us down slowly but surely. Uh, the credit card companies have been demonetizing many platforms. Uh, uh, many uh, artists are getting deplatformed just off of social media. Uh, shadow banning is another big thing where you'll be making your posts every day, but your fans aren't actually getting it. Um, and so it ain't an easy time to be an adult entertainer. And I, uh, uh, I am very honest with a lot of new faces that come into the industry right now that ask for advice. Um, I'm being very honest about it, that don't, don't open your uh, just for fans tomorrow thinking you're going to start raking in thousands of dollars, uh, uh, you know, in the next week or two. It, it, it just does not work like that at all. Uh, those very few, superstar stories you hear about uh from you know 10 years ago or so in in online entertain, adult entertainment um aren't aren't the they are not the baseline they are not the median uh it takes a lot more work than a lot of people uh, assume uh that goes on so yeah sex work is work gang it is very much work
1: yeah i think a lot of people assume yeah, you're right. You know, you look on Twitter, there are certain ones that have um, 500,000 followers and what have you, and you realize, like, okay, what are they doing? You know, what have you? Um, but they will tell you that is work. It, you have to think about what you're putting out there, who you teaming up with, a lot of collabs. Um, it's so much work that I think people thought that, oh, if I just feel myself masturbating or playing with my feet, I'm gonna get like 10 million, you know, $10,000 a week. And they have to remember there's tons of people doing all that type of work. And some are doing it better than others. I've noticed um, what I've learned is some people will have OnlyFans or what have you. They look great. They have like the body, but the OnlyFans are ridiculous. Like it's like you're not even doing anything. And then you have some that um, who are doing some things, maybe charge you $7 a month. And they have tons of followers and support because they're actually putting in that work to do it. So it, it is not just you have to have a pretty face. You got to have the tools and the content and things that people want to see, you know. And Nick and I, we talked, I think we kind of teased about how, like, you know, if you're going to do stuff like that, you know, people want to hear you come. They want to hear you. They don't want you like to come and like, I didn't hear you, just all right, I want to hear it. I want to hear these, I want to hear how you sound because again, it's, right. you see and you want to somewhat imagine yourself with that person maybe. So if you're not hearing those type of things or seeing the work they put into it, it's hard for you to get into it because of you, like if you're not putting that work into it, I I can't commit to you. I can't really get into that type of thing. So yeah, it, it does take that work and that preparation.
0: And at the end of the day, it's content creation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So how are you going to distinguish yourself and make yourself marketable in this field that everybody else is doing? You know, like it's going back to just like the basic economics of business. How are you, what do they call it? Um, it's the word for it and I can't think of it. Uh, but ha- how are you going to just dis- distinguish yourself from an oversaturated market to get consumers to buy your product and or service at the end of the day that is the baseline question of sex work or content creation whether it be just for fans only fans or whatever the case may be uh
2: this is one of the things too that's been kind of a, a little bit frustrating for me as an activist in sex work as well as there are a lot of Cam uh, uh, webcam performers who do not consider what they're doing sex work uh, and because they're not interacting physically and they're not actually having sex with the client. And this is where we actually have to start and go back to education. We have to go back to education. We have to start helping people understand that even in mainstream modeling for print ads, you're still often engaging in sexualized imagery creation, which is sex work, okay? So say you're sprawled out in a fur across a Bentley. Well, you're using sex to sell even a mundane product like a Bentley. Uh, That is technically still sex work, you know? So even modeling, life modeling, nude modeling in, in person or online, is still a level of sex work. So what we need to do right now is start educating a lot of our newer folks into the industry, help a lot of the amateurs that are out there too, start becoming more ethical. So I, I, I've been coining uh, two types of amateur. There's the little a amateur, and they're very new to the industry. They don't have any understanding of the paperwork involved for identity, for verification. Um, uh, they just want, They just want to have fun. Uh, and make money at this. Um, And that's a very wrong-minded approach. Uh, Then we have amateurs, capital A amateurs, who understand the paperwork. They understand what consent means. They're engaging in this in a a professional, a semi-professional hobby level. I call capital A amateur adult entertainers. I called them uh, uh, ethical hobbyists. You know, they're, they're, you know, this is a hobby that they're an ethical hobby. They're making pay a little bit for them. They're having fun as well. They're also having a lot of fun. Um, there's a whole new generation of entertainer getting into it to have fun. Uh, they're not so much looking at it as something that they're gonna make a lot of money out of. They understand that it's just something they enjoy doing and, and do, doing that too. And and I welcome all of these people to this industry. I just need, I just need everyone to understand. You're engaging in sex work, whether that's online, in person, or otherwise, you're still engaging in sex work, and we need your voice right now. Mm-hmm. We need your constituency in the larger argument, in the larger debates with government, with uh, the creators of Sasta Fasta, you know, uh, and all of that. We have to start getting a more collective voice uh, with what's going on or we're never going to see decriminalization of sex work across the board in this country like we see in other countries like Holland, um, uh, uh, even Britain to a great degree. Uh, has decriminalized a lot of of things here in this country, here in the state of Arizona, where I live, I can't even offer BDSM services because in the state of Arizona, my clients cannot consent to be harmed. uh, Technically Uh, Mm -hmm. that is actually a federal, there's a federal old book law that says you cannot consent to be harmed. Some of this dates back to medical testing on human beings. <laughs> we won't even get in, go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. Right. But yeah, you you even if you sign a paper, you still can't consent to be spanked in Arizona. Yeah, it's a fun one. Uh, and so so again, we've got to decriminalize, we've got to also draw bold lines between what is healthy and, ca- and, and, and cathartic sexual exploration, BDSM and kink exploration we're seeing a a surgence of dungeons that are opening up offering platonic kink exploration, no sex involved, no, no penetration. We're not here. We're not here for your sex organs. We're here for this sex organ. We're here for your brain and your soul and your psyche. Uh, I think we're going to see more and more and more and more of that in the in the next few years. Um, I call it the mainstreaming of kink. Um, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of people are coming to it and finding, a uh, great catharsis, amazing release.
0: I think those are necessary. Those kind of platonic kink establishments.
2: Absolutely. I think that, especially for people who are working through trauma, uh, and they're coming to kink um, I think that this is a great place to start is start in the platonic dungeons where uh, uh, where sexualizing the act is not part of the scenario like we're deliberately staying away from that. I think that that could help many people who have been maybe even the victims of sexual assault. I think that that may help them work through some things to where maybe down the road they might, begin to cross it over into something that is sexualized with the right partner in the right scenario, uh, you know, after time, um, because, uh, 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 being, okay. I'm going to talk for a minute being suspended, say in rope, uh, there is a, a very non-sexual side of it for me. There's a very I, I'm I'm floating. It reminds me of being in a pool. It reminds me of being uh, 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 free, but yet I'm not. I'm I'm still kind of tied into position. I I enjoy the sensualness of my dom tying me, leaning into me, touching me. How they have to maybe maneuver me, you know, pull me around and manipulate me, um, and then untying untying rope bondage is very sensual, very sexy. Pulling that rope against itself often creates vibration and, and sensation. And so uh, exploring that without the sexual component, without this being say an act of foreplay, uh, I, I think that there's, a, there's an amazing healing component there that we're only beginning to touch and explore as professionals.
1: And I've, I've watched the tying and untying, um, and I've seen where you there, how that is a cathartic thing for some of the people who are part of that. Um, and so I, it, it's not a quick process. It's, it is a time taking process when you watch it. And so therefore to see the person, the way the care that the Dom will have putting them into suspension and sometimes the release from that it is it's a
2: fascinating thing to watch. Circling back to aftercare and the, how a scenario is even set up, uh, the reason hmm. we talk about aftercare, the, the drop, the scene drop that I was talking about, the emotions that get built up, we refer to these as subspace or dom space, headspace. These are headspaces that people, players get into, submissives especially. For some submissives, it could literally be the smell of a leather flogger or it could be the first time it strikes them. Somewhere in the process, they find themselves quite transcendently leaving their conscious, like physical form. Uh, I like I, I like to joke and say, "Oh, I'm I'm cruising, I'm orbiting Saturn." Don't mind me; I'll be back in a minute, you know, and stuff. But it's called subspace or Dom space. It's it's the 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 endorphin driven place we go to in our minds. This is also why laying out your scenario, talking about the tools you might want to use and the tools you don't want to use is a really great best practice because even as a dom, you can get into the moment and you can start enjoying this reaction and these these reactions you're creating with them. You could be so into it, you accidentally grab the wrong tool. And in the heat of the moment, realize, oh my God, I just struck them twice with the wrong, with a tool they do not like, you know, and they've just safe worded, you know, kind of a thing. These are things, you know, it's it's, it's the heat, it's called the heat of the moment. This is why we communicate, negotiate and consent at the top of show at the beginning. So that when the scene begins, we can in fact give into the scene, follow its natural pathway. By the way, a little tip for you with the hard no toys and tools, take those out of the stack. (laughs) just put them in their own zone so you can't accidentally grab them (laughs) in the in the heat of the moment that makes sense (laughs) all right
0: well i i think well we've given us a lot to think about as far as yeah how to explore or yeah how to explore our desired kinks or learn about them because i find it interesting uh, when you start talking about uh, talking to people in like, whether it be the leather community or a pub or what have, what have you, they are very open about their knowledge. Um, I had a conversation, I would say this was pre-COVID, uh, to a guy that was uh, into the pub community here in Kentucky. And I don't, I do, I, I'm not, wanting to be in the pub community, but the psychology behind it is so fascinating to me. Um, And the psychology behind a lot of kinks is so fascinating. So, oh, go ahead, go ahead.
2: No, no, well, I find with kinksters, it breaks two ways, generally. Uh, There's kinksters like me who are very much turned on by discussing kink in the academic even, you know, kind of context. Uh, And then there are kinksters whom don't really want to deep dive their connection or their turn on, you know, um, because they're afraid deep diving, it will ruin it or break it somehow, Mm -hmm. or, or, or turn it off. Uh, When psychologists, especially modern psychologists and psychiatrists are approached with someone who is suffering from an unhealthy fetish, uh, that is exactly how they get to the bottom of the unhealthy fetish, fetish is they start unpacking all of the components that surround it so that they can figure out what was the mechanism that brought us to it, you know, and why is it being, and, 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 and unhealthy fetish, by the way, gang, it's, it, it falls into the category of debilitating. Uh, and in other words, so a uh, uh, four instances, you're into water sports, uh, uh, which is, you know, pee play, piss play, you know kind of thing. you're into water sports. But there comes a point where you cannot in yourself reach climax without either visualizing it or watching some sort of water sports or experiencing it or do, you know doing it yourself. Where the only way you reach orgasm is in a water sports related scenario. That is a big red flag that it might be becoming a debilitating fetish for you. Something preventing you from enjoying other explorations of sex other even vanilla explorations of sex and stuff like that. So uh, uh, yeah, and, and any fetish can become debilitating. So whether that's uh, something blatantly unhealthy for you, such as say, uh, 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 pausing, this is a big one that's coming around. It's the uh, willful spread of HIV um, and stuff. On its face, gang, this is unhealthy uh, and and stuff. And so uh, you might want to explore that with a professional and find out why is this triggering me? Um, you know, before you go out and act upon it, uh, kind of a thing. Because that that is a, a fetish that has a permanent adherent. It has a permanent effect to you once you start exploring that that fetish. Once you get HIV, you can't go back. You don't get to you don't get to rewind and say, "Ooh, I want to do that different." Right. It's, it's done. Um, and so yeah. So if it's the only way you're finding yourself get turned on and get off. If it's uh, gonna harm you long-term or for the rest of your life, these are things you want to sit down with a a trained psychologist, someone who is also like an ASECT certified psychologist. So this is the American Association of Sexual Counselors, Educators and Therapists. ASECT.org is a phenomenal resource. You can literally go in and log in and find therapists in your area who are already sex and kink friendly. They're aware they're not gonna judge you. They're gonna help you unpack this. They might even be able to help you unpack it and bring it back around to where you can enjoy it as a scene thing again, and it doesn't take over the way it did at first uh, and stuff. I find fetishes when they find a niche community or even get online and discover there's others like me. I'm not alone. Um, it, 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 it can be very empowering, but you can, uh, you can, you can go berserk with that empowerment. And, and, um, I see this a lot too with, I'm now kinky and now I want to experience all the kinks now, right now, all of them right now, all of the kinks. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. whoa, 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 everybody slow down. You can't experience all the kinks right now. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't do it. You'll short circuit yourself <laughs> and it won't be any fun. You, the body and the brain can only process so much stimuli
3: <laughs> you know, right. like
2: at any one given time. And so pace yourself, pace yourself, pick one or two that really turn you on, explore those. As those begin to become a little mundane, start adding in others off your bucket list, uh, but go slow. It's not a mar- It's a marathon. It's not a race. It's not a sprint. It is a marathon, a long, lifelong marathon. Just have fun with it and then take it in at your own pace.
0: That is a good final conclusion to this conversation. It's been really great and, I think, educational um, for you to be on the show, uh, Rocket. Uh, Can you tell everybody where they can find you all over the social media um, and all that jazz?
2: The Rocket Review is Saturdays with Rockets Week in Review, 11 a.m. And that is on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and just for fans. Or you can find us on Twitter at The Rocket Review. Or you can also find our podcast at Podcast The Rocket Review on all podcast platforms. And if you'd like to be a guest, come shout at me, rocket at the RocketReview.com. Email me.
0: And you can find Megasheen on Twitter at Megasheen1. You can find our personal accounts, Victor's at Wonder Men 5. I'm at What Porter Say. You can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, We're at Instagram, Facebook. Contact us at Megashine 6 at gmail.com for questions, comments, concerns. Uh, Victor, uh, anything else before we get up out of here?
1: No, this has been really informative. Rocket, thank you so much for being on here today. This has been really great. Uh, it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's always a treat. Yes. And do listen to the podcast, Rocket's Podcast. Check them out on Twitter. Um, just all the great things. So, Please do
2: that. It has been a distinct honor, gentlemen. I would love to come back anytime. and love to have you guys over on my show sometime. Hell no. And and get the, well, because I'm always into the perspective of of other people. That's half of, that's one of the major reasons I started the show is because I don't have all the best practices. I don't have all the answers. And so now what I'm doing is I'm bringing in the experts that do from those Mm -hmm. different niches so that we can continue to build that best practices platform.
0: We would love to be there. All right. Well, everybody take your medicine, take your vitamins, stretch, especially if you're over 30, Ooh, stretch, drink your water, Um, drink your water, mind your business, pay your taxes, and we will see you all next episode.